All right. Good morning, everyone. What an awesome thing we just witnessed, right? Two beautiful baby girls dedicated to the Lord. Um, And we're here. That's the beauty of Christian community, right? We're all here watching them grow up, raising them up, supporting those parents. And so I just encourage you to continue praying, uh, continue watching them grow. Now, church, today we have the privilege of kicking off a new sermon series. It's the beginning of the new year, right? And with every new year comes opportunities to start fresh. It's kind of like a clear the slate, make some new resolutions for the year, all right? How many of you actually started or are planning to make some resolutions this year? All right, a few of you, okay. Well, Many of us think of the new year and we get excited for this fresh start, right? We're ready to say goodbye to 2021 and we're open to all of the exciting possibilities of what 2022 can offer. Maybe you woke up on January 1st and you just said, I I feel like this is my year, you know? Haven't you ever said that before? I feel like this is a good year. It's also around this time of year where you see a lot of people start posting more, right? And, And the caption is always, hashtag new year, new me, right? And to be honest, whenever I hear that, I, I used to just really just roll my eyes inside because in my mind, I'm like, okay, sure, it's a new year, but come on. It, it's really the same you, right? It's really the same you. But all joking aside, if you do that, we still love you. <laughs> all joking aside, hashtag new year, new me. I Admire the heart behind the phrase. The heart behind this phrase points to a desire for change. We want to reflect on the year and work on ourselves so we can be better this year. We, we make goals and resolutions at the beginning of the year because we have this newfound motivation to make progress towards something. Right? Isn't that why gym memberships go up in January? Right? We want to start exercising more and being more active and healthier overall. I know I've done that pretty much at the beginning of every year, and maybe that's lasted about three weeks. <laughs> or for many of you, maybe it's, it's I'm going to read more this year. I'm going to watch less TV and I'm going to read more. Why? Because we know it's good for us. Or sometimes it's a personal thing. It's, it's like a goal of, of spending more time with family or being more patient or serving other people more this year. Now, whether or not we follow through and we de- develop the discipline to, to stick with these goals is a whole nother conversation. But the bottom line is that behind these goals, there's a deep desire within each of us Oh, sorry, I lost my eyes. Each, uh, behind these goals, there's a deep desire within each of us to work towards something we know to be good. Something deep inside that yearns for a life that is greater. And church, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about in this new sermon series, Upside Down. For the next two months, we're going to be diving into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, and we're going to see Jesus paint the picture of the good life, the abundantly greater life that is available for those who are part of his kingdom. And just as we're making resolutions for the year, I invite you to consider really taking the words of Jesus in the sermon to heart. 
Really reflect on them. Who knows, maybe your resolutions might come from something God places in your heart in this series. But that's the hope, that you would see and experience the good life that Jesus offers and make the decision to steward it, to invest in it, and to accept his invitation for a better life now and for a brighter eternity to come. Now, today we're going to start in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. But before that, let me give a little overview of the sermon. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is one of Jesus's most famous, most well-known teachings. It covers various topics that describe what a life of a faithful disciple living in God's kingdom looks like. And it comes at the start of Jesus' ministry after his bold challenge, bold exhortation to the people in chapter 4. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, turn your ways, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now hear me, this is very important before we start. The sermon that we're going to go through is, is not a list of things to do to earn salvation. Right, that, that is only possible through repentance, turning from your sin, and accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. Okay? Jesus is not saying that you must fulfill all these things and then you will satisfy the requirements and you'll be part of my kingdom. No. That's actually exactly why he's giving this sermon. Right? To counter that notion. To counter what the Pharisees and the Jewish religious leaders of the time were preaching. I mean, you're going to hear over and over again, Jesus say, you have heard what has been said, but I tell you. You have heard that they say this, but I tell you. You have heard that the Pharisees tell you that righteousness comes from saying the right things, following all the rules, knowing all the laws, and looking like a righteous religious person on the outside. But I tell you, Righteousness in my kingdom is about an inner transformation of the heart that leads to an outward transformation of your life. Jesus is saying everything that you've been taught is going to be turned upside down. Now, over the course of the next two months, we will be dividing up major portions of the sermon and looking just a few verses at a time about things like purpose and anger, and divorce, and lust, and loving your enemies, so on and so forth, right? But it's important to remember that this is one sermon. That's the way Jesus intended it. There is one overarching theme tying it all together, one train of thought just connecting all of the pieces. And so remember that Jesus, the point of the sermon, that Jesus is trying to tell his disciples people in the crowd who could potentially be his disciples and you and me today, that this is the good life. This is what it's like to be my followers. This is what it's like to live as part of my kingdom. And you know what? My kingdom, it's radically different than what you're used to. It's countercultural to what you've been taught in the world. And it might not make sense to the people around you, but it is so good and so sweet, and so abundant, and filled with joy and life, and it's available to you. It's available to anyone who repents, turns from the ways of the world, and comes to me. 
Now, the first 12 verses of the sermon are called the Beatitudes. And here Jesus begins his sermon by describing uh, the character of the type of people that are in God's kingdom and the hope that awaits them. And we won't be able to spend much time in that section there today, but I really, I encourage you to go home and to start there and to read it for yourself, see what Jesus has to say. But like I said before, we're going to be starting in verse uh, 13. So if you want to turn in your Bibles with me. Now, in preparation, I have one question for us to ponder this morning. You ready? All right. As a Christian, is the world a better place because you're in it? As a Christian, is the world a better place because you're in it? Now, I know world might be throwing some people off because it's just, it feels so big, right? It feels kind of impossible to do that. Well, instead, fill in the blank with something else. As a Christian, is your home a better place because you're in it? As a Christian, is your neighborhood a better place because you're in it? Is your workplace, your communities, your friend groups better places because you are in it as a follower of Jesus? And keep thinking about that question as we dive in and read our passage. Verse 13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the word of the Lord. Now, right before these verses, Jesus actually mentions or addresses the fact that it's inevitable that Christians will face persecution in the world. Right? He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, people will insult, persecute you, say all these false things about you. Right? Being a Christian in our world sometimes is difficult and challenging. And in the Bay Area, especially for sure, we know we are up against some unique challenges and obstacles, whether it be culture or politics or whatever it may be that divides us, right? And our human reaction, our human tendency is to just protect ourselves, right? We want to just protect ourselves, retreat, hide, maybe blend in. So that we don't face persecution. And yet, right after that section, Jesus flips it upside down and he simply says, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, what is that? (laughs) Why did Jesus use these two things? What's so significant about salt and light? Well, let's start with salt. Now, back in the first century, salt was actually considered to be a very valuable and precious commodity. It was like money. In fact, the word salary actually comes from an ancient word that means salt money, right? Some Roman soldiers were actually 
paid in salt because it was that valuable and that precious and sought after. Now, in addition to its value, back then one of the primary purposes and uses of salt was actually preservation. In a time before refrigeration, modern technology, all that stuff, the way to preserve food, especially meat, was you would pack it with salt and it would keep the meat from spoiling, going bad as quickly um, in the conditions that they lived in, in the desert environment that they lived in. And so not only was salt valuable and worth money, but it was vitally important to their lives, to their lifestyle. It helped preserve the good and slow the process of decay. Now for us today, I mean, thankfully we do have refrigerators, um, but we still use salt pretty regularly, right? Salt is a seasoning. It brings flavor to our food. Have you ever had food that was just so bland that had no salt in it? Right, you can tell. Salt enhances, it adds to make our food more tasty, more delicious, and just better. We know that the purpose of salt is to make things better. So let's put it all together. If Jesus says we are like salt in in the earth, what does that mean? Well, it means that Christians are inherently valuable and precious to the world around us. Our existence should be good for the world. Our presence should serve as a preserving influence, keeping, sustaining the good, the hope in a world that is dying. And our lives should add something to bring flavor, make our surroundings better. So I ask you again, as a Christian, is the world a better place because you're in it? Let's move on to light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. I love that picture. Light is so important. I mean, have you ever stumbled around in the dark? You're trying to look for something and it's pitch black and you can't see anything. Or you're walking down the street at night with no street lights, which I don't recommend you doing. That's not a good idea. But the point is you can barely see anything, right? Light is so important. Maybe you remember as a kid just being afraid of the dark and you, you don't want to go to bed. You, you're just so scared that there's monsters there. You just can't see anything. And so your parents go into your room. They put a little tiny light in the corner of the room and it just illuminates everything. And it makes you feel safe. Take even this room right here. This big, beautiful room. You guys come in at 10.30, maybe some of you 11, right? The sun's out. The lights are on. It's bright. It's great. Awesome. Well, you know who the first one is to get here? Mm-hmm. Or those of you on the worship team, you also understand. Most of the time, I get here at 8.30, and no one's really here yet, and I got to set up, and so I walk in, and it is pitch black in here. It is dark, and it's, it's big, right? So it's also kind of creepy, <laughs> and you can't see anything. And so the first thing I try to do when I get in here is I run to at least one of the lights, so I just turn on the light so that I can see and feel safe in this room. In the midst of overwhelming darkness, even one small light can shine and bring light to the whole room. 
And Jesus says, you are that light. You are that light that can shine and bring light to the whole world. Now, why does that sound so familiar? Right? Well, Jesus said it of himself in John 8, 12. He says, I am the light of the world. I am. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And now he turns to his disciples and to you and me today. And he says, now you are the light of the world. Go and shine that light wherever you go. Isn't that incredible? Christians, in, in who you are as disciples, you have the power to bring light and hope and peace and warmth to every place you step foot in this world, to every person you encounter. You have that power. So I ask you, as a Christian, is the world a brighter place because you're in it? Maybe if you're answering honestly, it's, it's a no. Maybe, I, I don't know. I get it. It's hard sometimes. Why do we do that? Maybe sometimes we're scared, right? We don't want other people to be weird around us or judge us or think something of us that they knew that we were Christians and so we just, we just never mention it. You know, if it comes up, it comes up, but we never mention it. Maybe we're afraid of that persecution that might come. Or maybe we're just, we're too busy and distracted. We don't have time to think about being salt and light because we've got so many other things going on, so many other responsibilities and distractions. Or maybe we're comfortable. We like the way life is right now. We like just being a regular Christian who goes to church on Sunday, but anything more than that is just a little too hard, a little too inconvenient. Maybe we don't realize the power that we have and the purpose that God has for you. During my freshman year of college, I had a roommate. Some of you may have heard this story. She was a complete stranger. Um, I, I got paired up with. I had no idea who she was or what she was like. But let's just say very, very early on, I found out I was in for a long ride. <laughs> She was, what you can imagine, all the stereotypically bad roommate stuff just, just all packed into one person. Messy, dirty, lack of boundaries. I, I'll let you just imagine it for yourselves. Point is, I was miserable. But I kept it all in. And one night, she asked to borrow my laptop. And, you know, this is a small small request, really. It really shouldn't have bothered me that much. But for some reason, this one request really pushed me over the edge. I gave her my laptop. I left the room, and I went into the lounge to sit with some friends. And immediately, they, they started asking me, like, are you okay? Oh, can't believe you have to put up with her. Can't believe she does this to you. Can't believe she does that to you. And in that moment, I had a choice. Join or not join. And guys, I was so fed up. I was so angry that I just exploded. I just exploded. I gave in. And I started to say these really mean things to her, uh, about her. 
I started to just say nasty things. Oh, she doesn't deserve to be here. Blah, blah, blah. She just imagined I don't want to repeat them all. Now, all of a sudden, I'm stopped by shh. And in that moment, I just freeze up because I know exactly what happened. And slowly, I turn around to the end of this very small room. And there sat my roommate sitting at the other table with her back turned. And she just got up and she left. Now, at that moment, it seemed like my world just stopped. I mean, I was horrified. My friends kept reassuring me, it's fine. You know, she deserves it anyway. She's a terrible roommate. She had it coming. But I sat there and I felt just so much shame and sorrow at what I had done. To them, maybe it wasn't a big deal. For me, it was everything. I had two thoughts that night. One, how could I call myself a Christian and yet live a life that looked no different from my non-Christian friends? And two, what kind of witness did I have for Jesus that night? What kind of impression did I leave on my friends about what followers of Jesus were like that night? Is the world a better place because you're in it? Is your dorm, workplace, school a better place because you're in it? Because it should be. The thing about salt and light is that their usefulness, their purposefulness is directly connected to their distinctiveness. Say that again. Their usefulness and purposefulness is directly connected to their distinctiveness. Both of these things are distinct, and when they're doing their job, when they're being used for the purpose in the way that they were intended, you can tell. You know it's there. It's distinct from its surroundings, and it makes an impact. So with food, right? You can tell when something is bland and has no seasoning. You can tell when it has salt, and it's been seasoned well. With light, it's visible in a dark room. No matter how dark the room is, it is visible. When someone's on their phone in bed at night and they're not supposed to, you know it because it's distinct. You can tell. You see the light. Their usefulness is directly connected to their distinctiveness from their surroundings. And the same goes for followers of Jesus. We lose our effectiveness for Jesus when we lose our distinctiveness in this world. Jesus says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. There could be many reasons to hide our light, whether it's fear, busyness, comfort. Honestly, it's just easier to do what the rest of the world is doing But to that, Jesus is saying, no, my friends, there's more for you. There's something greater that I have planned for your life than to just live like everyone else. Yes, you are in the world, but you are not of it. I've called you to be distinct, to be different. I have given you a greater purpose. So it's time to lift the bowl up and let your light shine. 
If you're like me at all, at, at, one point, at one point or another in your life, you probably ask God, God, what do you want me to do? What's my calling? What's my purpose? And when you ask that, you probably were thinking you want specifics, right? Like, God, give me the answer. Tell me exactly what job to take, what career to choose, where to live, what to do. What is my calling in life? When all along, right in this sermon, he already told us. And it's simple. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Wherever you go, whatever that looks like, whatever your job you're in, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, Jesus never challenged us to become salt or light. He simply says, you are. You are. If you're my disciples, you are. And every single one of us here has a purpose and a mission and a calling from God to be salt that adds goodness to the world. To be light that shines in the darkness so that people can see the way to the true light of the world. That's the beauty of being in God's kingdom, right? It's, it's open and available to all. He doesn't save us from our sins just so that we can hoard it ourselves. He doesn't give us new life so we can keep it a secret. No, it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be displayed like a city on a hill for all to see. And he entrusts that mission, that purpose to you and to me. Now, many things changed after the incident with my roommate. Uh, if you're wondering, I did apologize and uh, ask for forgiveness, and she graciously did. We're still on good terms today. But after that moment, I really started to reevaluate a lot of things and question the way that I was living out my faith. And I started to realize the impact that I truly have on people, whether I knew it or not. And I stopped trying to hide that light. And truly, I believe things changed. At the end of that year, I bumped into someone in the hallway. And uh, this person stopped me and was like, Caitlin, right? I was like, who are you? <laughs> Immediately, I was taken back. I've never talked to this person. Maybe I've seen them in the hallway, but really never met this person in person before he said don't take this the wrong way but i've been watching you <laughs> and there's something different about you are you a christian and even more surprised than before i was like yeah yes i am and he said i'm interested in your god can we talk more jesus says let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, guys, people will notice. When you are intentionally living for Jesus, people will take notice that something is different about you, that you are distinct, that you are radically different because living life God's way is upside down from the ways of the world. The goal of our shining is not that people may see how good we are, but that they may see how good God is. And he is indeed good. So let your light shine before others that they may see the goodness of God and glorify him in heaven. Now what this looks like for each person will be different. And I encourage you to wrestle with that and ask God. I'm not here to tell you how to do that. 
really ask him. (laughs) But maybe you feel like that's a little daunting. I don't know where to begin. And as we wrap up, I really just have one thing today to challenge you with, to start with. And I challenge you to change your perspective. That's it. I'm not asking you to go change the world right now. I'm not asking you to change your perspective. What if you started viewing work as not just work? Or school, not just school. Church is not just church. What if they were places and opportunities to shine God's light? Just change. Do a mind exercise for me. What would it look like if we intentionally asked ourselves today, how can I make this world a little bit better, a little bit brighter? What if instead of just getting through the workday with your head down, you really made an effort to get to know your coworkers and their needs, and you prayed for them? What if instead of joining in and gossiping with friends, just because it's fun, it's a thing to do, you, you're afraid and you use your words to encourage people, lift them up instead? Or instead of getting comfortable and staying at home and doing the comfy things that I, I also love, you decided to go out of your way into your community to serve someone or to help someone. What if instead of staying quiet or blending in, you stood up for the oppressed and the marginalized using your voice to share the love of Jesus with the world? What if? What if? Right? The possibilities are endless. I challenge you to start with this. Change your perspective. As followers of Jesus, people who have been touched by God's grace who have experienced his unconditional love, who have been saved and now experience new life. You have something powerful to contribute to the world. And God has placed you in the exact places that you are right now because he has a purpose for you there. When we stop seeing our everyday life as just another thing we have to get through, we'll start seeing all the opportunities and the people Jesus wants us to get through to. So don't hide your light anymore. Don't let fear or comfort or distractions hide your light any longer. But let it shine. Because Jesus has a greater life, a greater purpose in store for you here on this earth. That all might experience the grace of Jesus Christ through you. And that God our Father would be glorified above all else. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us a greater purpose to be your salt and light in the world, to be your hands and feet. Lead us, Lord, by your spirit with boldness so that we don't hide our light, but that we might bring light to the whole house. Change our perspectives, Lord. Work in us that our presence will ultimately make the world better, filling it with your love and your grace and your peace. We love you so much, Lord. We give you our lives. Would you use them? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.